Hey guys, as a reminder, if you'd like to watch the video recording of this podcast, you can see it at www.waltherarms.com slash waltherradio. We're going to talk to Jay Beal today and take the first looks at the PDP steel frame. Stick around. Guns, gear, and training tips from the best instructors around the world. Walther Arms presents Walther Radio. Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Chris. Welcome to this last episode of 2023 of the Walther Radio podcast. Uh, it's been a whole lot of fun this year. We've got to do a lot more things than we thought we would. Um, today in, let's see, sponsors, our sponsors. Yes, as with every episode is the Walther 30-day money-back guarantee. You can buy just about any Walther pistol that you'd like. You can shoot it for up to 30 days and if you decide you don't like it, or maybe you would have liked to get a different size of the PDP, you wouldn't get the F-Series, or you know now you would like to get the Steel Frame, or the PD-380, or any of Walther's newest, latest, and greatest pistols, uh, you can just send that back to us. Send back your purchase, and we will refund 100% of the purchase price up to MSRP. We will also pay for your shipping, and we will also refund the tax you paid on that purchase, again, up to MSRP. It is the greatest guarantee in the industry, we feel. Um, also... Brought to you by, uh, we still have 15 days left on the Sierra promotion. So if you go and buy any new PDP, that means PDP F-Series, PDP Pro SD, you know, 5-inch, full-size, compact. It really doesn't matter. As long as it says PDP in the name, you will you will get 100 rounds of Sierra 124 grain uh, hollow point ammunition. So buying ammunition is not super fun. So we just went ahead and did it for you. You can just factor that into the cost of your purchase of your PDP. Have 100 rounds of very nice defensive carry ammunition from the good folks over at Sierra Bullets. Appreciate them. Let's see. Beyond that, Walther News, we got a new pistol. I think that's probably why a lot of people are here listening. Is Oh, here it is for you watching at home. Uh, this is the PDP Steel Frame. Super cool gun. Also released, uh, it's the match, the PDP SF match. And then the, the polymer frame version. Sorry for clicking that in your ear. The polymer frame version was also released today. The coolest... The cool, I mean, Walther makes the greatest handguns. Everyone knows this. And this is the, Wal the the greatest handgun that Walther has ever made. So definitely go check one out if you get the chance. Uh, such a soft shooting gun. Amazing capacity. Just a all-around great a trigger. Dynamic performance trigger straight out of the box. Just really, really excited to be a part of a company that comes out with cool stuff like that. So PDP Steel Frame Match. Go check it out. Moving right along to our guest. He has been in the top 10 in USPSA Carry Optics Nationals for the last two years in a row. He also just this last weekend placed second at the US IPSC Nationals in the Production Optics Division, and he is number one in our hearts. Walther Performance Division member, Jay Beal, how are you doing, sir? You are number one in my heart, Chris. Oh, that's so good. I like to hear that. Good. I'm doing well. I'm I, it's funny because I feel like this podcast is very professional and I always feel more nervous. Oh my God. Well, we fooled you. Thank you. I feel more nervous on the professional ones. Um, I, I record a lot of unprofessional ones. Um, I'm not, I'm not including Steve in that necessarily. I'm just so used to recording with Steve. <laughs> and Steve's very professional. He, he is. He is. But I, I miss the Van Halen music more than, more, more than anything. I'm sure he does too. I, yeah, I mean, I've been listening to him for a long time. Yeah. So you just shot this Ipsic Nationals, uh, at, and you shot it with your standard PDP. Yeah. It's a five-inch full-size PDP. Right here. But it was after you and I just got back from South Carolina filming a bunch of content for the Steel Frame. You are like the very first shooter 
to get any experience with the steel frame. Were there any stages where you were shooting and just be like, I wish I had that steel frame right I, now? Is So ever since I shot it, this is going to sound totally, well, we're on the Walther podcast and stuff, but anyway, disregarding that, I, I wish, I all, all I could think of was shooting that pistol ever since I shot it. And so then I, I got back and I was like, well, I, okay, I've got to commit. I'm shooting this one now. And 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 because I, I enjoyed shooting it so much and, and yeah, so it was, imprinted deeply in my mind and my hands of what it felt like and i really uh i'm i'm so excited to be shooting that good well said your gift certificate to the sizzler is in the mail yes appreciate that spot there no for real what do you notice or what did you notice the most going for because there's obviously a cost difference in the polymer frame guns going up to the steel frame gun it is an increase obviously a lot more production time and and stuff goes into making a steel frame gun but people are going to be asking why do I need to spend what it costs to get a steel frame or is the polymer frame just as good? Um, what do you notice, I guess, the most different between shooting the polymer frame guns and going to the steel frame? I mean, I mean, two things right away. So the, the dot is going to settle out sooner. And that, I noticed that I, obviously on close targets, it doesn't matter as much. You know, a plastic gun is going to perform identically to a heavy steel gun on on targets inside seven yards or, or whatever the distance is. But then when targets are at 15, 20 and they have partials on them, uh, then that's where I really see the difference. And that, I, I for sure noticed that when we were shooting that um, in South Carolina. And so that's the that's the first thing. And then I was surprised because I shot it. I shot one handed in, in quite a bit, actually, when we were there and I was surprised. I didn't know I'd never shot a heavy gun one-handed before. And I was impressed with how quickly that also returned. I mean, a huge difference. Mm. Um, and so the dot just jumped up. And I was shooting left-hand left hand only. I'm dominant, right, right-handed, right dumb, dominant shooter, whatever. And yeah, so the dot comes right back down. And it it's just easier to shoot one-handed, easier to shoot further away and more forgiving when you press the trigger incorrectly. So if you jam the trigger sideways, there's more mass to be moving around. So you can, you're forgiven for errors like that. I mean, th those are the three big things. Um, there are some other stuff that we're, that we can talk about later too, but that's it. So in anything that requires work, it makes that work easier, basically. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Controlling recoil. Controlling recoil, shooting one-handed, and you don't have to be as careful on the trigger. And again, that pays off on the further shots. So that's kind of, that's where it is. Do you find it harder to point from target to target, transition from target to target since there is increased, I guess, swing weight? Um, well, so when, when we were there doing that, I accidentally dry fired that gun for a while when I... <laughs> yeah, we had to clean it up for, for video shoots. Yeah. And I, and I was experimenting with it. I, I was curious about that. And I think a lot of people would be, especially if they've mostly only shot polymer pistols where they're like, yeah, but this thing's so light it can transition all around. And when I first did some wider transitions in, in our Airbnb there, I was like, no, oh, this is a little bit, a little bit heavier. And then after five minutes, I, it was, there was a really quick adaptation that happened where it was like, no, it's just really snappy there. So, but you feel the juice is worth the squeeze. I, I think so. I think so. I mean, that's why I'm going to, that's why I'm going to be switching to it. I, I think that if it wasn't there, then I wouldn't, I mean, we talked about, mm -hmm. it too. I mean, if, if it wasn't worth the, 
worth it, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, I've been, yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited about it. And so it's funny because this is like the off season for competitive shooters, uh, which it will not be my off season because I, <laughs> I can't help. I mean, what am I going to do? I, you know, you get a new gun and, and uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And if this is people's first introduction to you too, one of the things that you are most known for is obviously you are involved with Steve Anderson over Anderson shooting, who's known as the dry fire guy. And I can see in the background, you have your, your big dry fire dojo there. I don't know anybody that dry fires nearly as much as uh, the mighty Jay Beal. So can you talk us through your dry fire dojo back there? I'm sure it's not just paper targets on a wall. Yeah. You have a lot of crazy gadgets yeah. and things. There's a lot of stuff you can't see here. I mean, I've got, I brought barrels in and because we see those at competition, I'm, I'm, I've tried to make it as much like competition as I can. So I've got barrels, I've got vision barriers. I have a swing. People screaming, stop. Yeah. Stop. You <laughs> cued from your own basement. Yeah. Uh, swinger, swinging targets, you know, small partials, everything's down here. And this was designed to be this specific for this space. Like this is a dry fire basement. And it was built that way. So I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't always have this basement. I started off in a very small room and, um, and did Steve Anderson's drills, his one through 12, uh, from his first book, Refinement and Repetition. So that's what I started. Mm -hmm. And then this is this has become where the vast majority of my training occurs. Yeah. Would you be able to have just reached your, your second place finish there at the Ipsic Nationals without having a dry fire dojo that is as elaborate as yours, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. The the basement is just a luxury. I I would have found a way to to do whatever. I mean it's hard to say that. I mean that that would be a guarantee, but yeah, this, the dry fire space is just kind of something nice to have, but I would have found a way to, to maximize the space that I had. What do you think are the most important things to keep in mind when people start dry firing outside of safety? Safety is kind of a, a given. I mean, if you want to cover that, you can, but yeah, no, I, I, th I think outside of safety, I think that, yeah, we, I think that that should be that should be self-explanatory. But outside of that, it's so hard because this shifts around for everybody all the time. Like my most important thing right now was not what's most important uh, two weeks ago or whatever. But I think generally it's more of a vague concept of paying attention. Uh, and so placing my attention on what's happening in the moment and not letting it... Um, drift off if that makes sense uh and and there's times where I, I mean i'm not perfect with my attention all the time but if i'm paying attention to what's happening with the dot on the target in dry fire and how my hands feel and my body position and not all of this stuff at one time because it's not possible but just the ability to to pay attention to what you're doing so that you see when you make an error and then you can fix it so that's kind of vague. Okay. But if you want me to be more specific, I can. Um, well, I guess my, my question is just thinking about the person who's listening to this. Uh, they've never, maybe this is their first time being introduced to you. Maybe it's the first time being introduced to dry fire. Um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that we keep in mind that not everybody dry fires. 
<laughs> and they might feel like oh, that's nothing that I really need to do because, you know, I'm a defensive guy or or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so the so the biggest benefit that dry fire has is that the this in your hand all of the time or daily uh, becomes normal. So this this in my hand and how both of my hands fit on here and then wherever I look, the dot will show up there becomes second nature. It becomes who you are. And so if you don't dry fire, then that will not be who you are. So you won't be able to pick up a pistol and hold it correctly right when you pick it up. And you won't be able to put the dot on the place that you're looking. So that's, that's the biggest benefit. And so as far as if someone doesn't dry fire and, they, and they're like, well, I don't even know what to do. I think the what you can do is really it's Steve Anderson's first drill from refinement and repetition, which is his book. And it, that is sight picture confirmation where you draw and you draw the gun from a holster or even just a low ready. And you put the sights on the center of a target it can, it can be whatever, anything you put the sights there and you touch the trigger and you prep, prep the trigger right there. And then you do that again and again and again. And that just builds, builds that deeply inside of you on that's how I, I present the gun. That's how the dot shows up and that becomes normal. So like just presenting the gun to a specific spot over and over and over again for five minutes every day. Do you think that that has application for someone who does say like, well, I'm not, I'm not a competitor. I'm not going to go to Ipsic nationals. I'm, you know, I'm just, I carry cause I want to protect my wife, my kids, my family. Yeah. That that's the most like softball question I've ever received, Chris. Yes. Good. I, I think so. We want to make this easy for you. I, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't train people. I, I don't have experience myself in any of this stuff, but that ability, like if you, if you own a firearm, firearm and you care about using it responsibly and and safely then you have kind of a responsibility to to be able to handle it uh, efficiently and mm. and so i think it's an extremely important skill to have so a lot of people uh, probably don't know this about you as well but you hold the uh, illustrious title of being the first person in uspsa to reach master rank in the open division from concealment. Is that still true? That is still true. If uh, I believe that is still true. If it's not, please send me a message and inform me that it's not true. And I should stop saying that though. I don't really say it that often. But... Why did you do that? What led you to do that? If you, I mean, if you're the first and only, I, I think it's probably, it, it's probably similar for you in the way that why you maybe saw competition and started doing a little bit, or even saw anything and started being like, I would like to be really fast at, at drawing and shooting or, or anything, uh, which is, uh, well, I, I saw Gabe White do this and, and Gabe White made master in lim in the limited division, uh, in mm -hmm. USA. And, and that was really my part of my inspiration to, uh, attempt to make grandmaster in open, which I got distracted along the way. But, uh, and that was just because I, I, lost interest in just doing that presentation drill and being like, I'm going to get good at this, but for what? And so then I saw competition and I 
was thinking, I want to get good at competition with the stuff that I carry every day. And then that took me down the competition rabbit hole. And I want to get as good as I could with the things that I carry. Yeah, it's, uh, that was how I was introduced to you, actually, was was through that. I think I reached out to Scott Jedlinski because I wanted to be good from Appendix. And he was like, well, you got to talk to Goat Farm and Jay Beal. Are you actually a goat farmer? Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a, yeah, goat farmer, blueberry farmer. Um, yeah, that's it. Which one of those is better than the other? Is there, is there one you prefer more, the goats or the blueberries? The blueberries have less attitude problems, I imagine. Yeah, the, the blueberries are more predictable. Um, mm. the goats are much less predictable. <laughs> so nice. I like predictable things, but well, speaking of predictable, we should probably get back to the, to the steel, the man of the hour, the steel frame. Um, one of the things, uh, while we were down in South Carolina that I, I recall you saying was that it was predictable. It was a lot more predictably, uh, aiming. It was a lot more predictable on return of recoil. How important is that to what you do when you, you train? It, it's really big. And so I kind of, I kind of hinted at it a little bit before, but with the, with, with a lighter gun, if you make an error, so if your grip is a little off on the draw, mm -hmm. which in competition, there's no time to fix it. If you can shoot safely with the grip that you have, then you have to shoot. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no time to, to fix your grip uh, unless it's really ugly then. But if, if your grip is off a little bit and the, and the gun is really lightweight, then you have to grip a lot harder to make it predictable again. And you know this intuitively when you when you shoot a lot is you already know on the draw you're like I'm going to have to I'm going to have to add a little bit more juice on my left hand to really squeeze down. But with with a steel frame this is it's so much more forgiving in that department as well. So you your grip can be off a little bit and you're still going to get predictable shots. And so what happens is you have a a much Nar more narrow band of predictability in recoil along any kind of grip that you get any lean around a wall that you do any kind of low port in competition that we see uh, everything so the band of predictability is very flat and we want things to be predictable because we are trying to shoot as quickly and accurately as possible and so if you're really predictable with the sights then you're able to pull the trigger a little bit faster. So you typically use just a factory PDP trigger in all of your PDPs. Is that right? That's right. Just the factory trigger. And I've been using that for the past year and a half or so. So down in South Carolina, then a couple of weeks ago, that was your first experience with the dynamic performance trigger in the steel frame gun. What did you think of just the trigger? Yeah. So I, I had felt the trigger at SHOT Show, I think the year before, and that was my only experience. I just felt it kind of at the booth in dry fire. And that was the most basic exposure to it. I think that it, it comes alive a little bit more literally when you're shooting it with live ammo. Um, cause because of the reset, I don't know. It's just, if you haven't felt it, then you need to go find someone who has it or just buy a Walther. Um, you're pretty proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> like we've always had great triggers, but that one is, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. Just the, just the minimal travel that it has. So it does have, it has like take up. So I, and I like that. I like to be able to feel where I am on the trigger. I don't want to just touch it and it snaps. Um, I want to mm -hmm. feel like where I am on the trigger and then you get to the wall and then there's the wall and then it breaks. And then I should be clickety clacketing on a podcast, but then it breaks 
and then it and then it resets and it's so short and so it's why i noticed in live fire is that i i usually i'm not a person who splits the gun and i'm I'm splitting between targets that quickly but as you maybe saw in south carolina i was shooting some pretty fast splits because you were and i was trying to be like (laughs) uh and and it was way easier way easier to shoot fast splits with it which again so that's just one part shooting fast splits but then getting back to the shooting targets further away there's less trigger movement so there's less of an opportunity for you to make an error on the trigger yeah and 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 just speaking about competition the quicker you can shoot up close like everybody can shoot pretty fast up close but Mm -hmm. put the targets the targets further away and you put partials on them that's where you get people slowing down and being very careful and so if you have a, a good trigger, if you're well-trained, you have a good trigger and, and a gun that is predictable, and you're going to pass people on targets like that. Mm. And that's something that I am very interested in. So, <laughs> Right. Well, that brings me, I guess, to my next thing. We already talked about Steve Anderson, who is your, he's your coach, right? I mean, he's your, yeah. your friend, coach, would you say? Mentor? I'd say so. He, Steve Anderson has taught me so much just indirectly from, from his podcast. Um, and then after mm-hmm. friends with him and, and knowing him for three or four years now, there's been so much more from that. And then I, and then so much more, even since Steve started teaching mental management as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I remember in one of his books and it might've been, it might've been refinement and repetition, but I feel like it was his second or third one, which uh, I loved both of the, I, I think it was his third book that kind of talked you through a lot more of the mental side of, you know, here's how to think about something a little bit wiser uh, if you make a mistake or if you're finding yourself having trouble drawing correctly, try thinking about this instead. And those things helped me a lot. But one of my favorite things that he'd said in there was when he was talking about passing lanes and that's how you win, you know, that's how, that's how you win is you, you get good at the things that other people are bad at Um, because the game assumes that you can shoot. But if you can get, you know, if people like, oh, I hate low ports or, oh, I don't like partial targets, then that just means you need to get amazing at partial targets, at, you know, at distance, or you need to get amazing at movement. And at that point, the shooting part becomes easy. Is that accurate in your experience? I mean, this, yeah, you identify things that you think that other people might be bad at, and then you get really good at them so that you pass them. Yeah. That's exactly. It. And especially when you get, when you, when you come up to a stage, then you look at the stage and you see these places that you are really good at. And, and then that gives you confidence. And so this, this then just leads right into mental management, which if people aren't familiar too, with, with Lanny Basham and, and Steve, Steve Anderson's a, a certified instructor for mental management. And he, he teaches this stuff, but confidence is who we are. So that's the self image. And that's basically you know, you, you know what you can do and then your confidence says you can do this. And if you don't have a lot of confidence, confidence, then you won't be able to do the thing. And so like the low port, you have a lot of confidence because you've been training it. You've, uh, you've given yourself permission to say that that was pretty good in training. Like I did that well, so I'm getting better at that. And then when you see it at a match, uh, on a stage, then your chances of executing that well, the first time. Are, are way higher. So getting in then to mental management, because that is something that we're going to have Steve on here. Absolutely. I can't wait to get, to get Steve on here at some point, but to give people kind of a, 
quick window into what mental management is and how you can apply it is mental management itself and learning how to talk to yourself and learning how to train correctly from the mental side of things, a passing lane in itself. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's like a secret passing lane that people, well, it's a secret that everyone knows about. So they're like, yeah, I should probably get better at that mental thing, but it's, it's, it seems vague to people. And so what, what mental management does is it creates this system around it. So it gives you steps that you do um, and they're in, they're specific, but individual when you, when you put it into practice, there's stuff that, that you do specifically during competition before, during, and after competition mm -hmm. make your mental performance very reliable and, and really solid so that if you have a good mental performance, then, then the physical performance also becomes reliable and very consistent. And that's rewarded very heavily in, in competition. And I would say just in life, it's, re it's rewarding to be consistent and very good at something. And you do that first mentally. I hope that, does that make sense? If, if it does, I guess what I'm trying to think of would be like, what would the listener need to hear as a, as an elevator pitch for mental management? Because, you know, if you start talking about systems and, and things like that, it kind of sounds, it kind of sounds bigger than it is. And it's a big deal to get into it, but, um, it's really like you can make measurable improvements today just by learning how to talk to yourself. And I, I don't know if kinder is the right word, but learning how to give yourself credit without being braggadocious or without being full of yourself. Um, yeah, it, it seems like it, it pays it's low hanging fruit, just as much low hanging fruit as learning how to draw, you know, from under your shirt a little bit faster or learning how to hit reloads more efficiently to, to gain time. You can increase your performance just by making small tweaks initially to the way that you even talk to yourself when you're training. A absolutely. And I think Steve, Steve says it, uh, or he used to say it on the podcast and, and you know, he's like, talk to yourself like you are trying to tell help your three or four year old how to tie their shoes. Talk, talk to yourself that way. You wouldn't be like, mm -hmm. why are you so bad at tying your shoes? You should just quit now. It's like what you yeah. talk to your, your own child that way when they're, when you're trying to help them tie their shoes. You when it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like socially there is a, there's a coolness or, or maybe even just a humbleness that people presume is projected outwards when they are self-deprecating. Yeah. So it's cool or it's funny and it's, it's humble to, you know, blow a stage and then be like, I'm terrible. Like that's, that's the worst. I'm embarrassed by that. Everyone should look away. Uh, they're going to revoke my membership, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But that's really damaging to what, what it allows you to be capable of. Yeah. I, it's, it's deeply ingrained in just our, our culture almost it's with anything you know if you go play other sports or do other things you'll hear people say stuff like i always mess that up like when mm -hmm. when i when i do this thing I, I never can get that right well outside of the stuff where again we're, we're giving very quick elevator pitches on the mental management system that you use outside of if this sounds like it's feel goodery or or something like that or this doesn't sound like somebody's cup of tea the other side of the mental management system is it trains you how to kind of focus your mind on one thing. And it talks about how your mind works, uh, how your, how your brain can really only focus on one thing at a time. 
and that you then need to make everything else subconscious. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. All of our training is to just build subconscious skill. So that means skill that we can, that we have, that we can execute without thinking about it. And we all, we are all familiar with this because you'll be driving in the car and then you, you teleport to work because you've Mm -hmm. so often, you're just like, I'm here. You drove that whole route. I mean, provided something weird didn't happen along the way, but you've driven that route uh, so many times that you can drive it without consciously thinking your way through it. And so that's, that's what we do with our skill. That's why we train is so that we can focus on something else while we perform at our, at our very top. And that's valuable because we want to be thinking about things that are important. So on, if, if we're shooting a match, we want to be thinking about where the bullets are going. And I, I imagine that's pretty important when you really need the bullets to go in places that are important. Uh, and so then everything else, all the skill that you've trained falls away and it happens automatically. And, and that is huge. And I think that the trap here is when you start thinking about things, and this is from, from Steve too. I mean, you, you start thinking about things that you already know how to do subconsciously. And when you start to do that, then, then you, you crack all, all of this that you've built up, you, you break it down. You don't top level. And so that's, that's why it's so important to have, to be thinking about one thing. So everything else can fall away. So what is it that you think about? What is your mental program? Is it center the dot, call the shot? I know that was a popular one on uh, that Steve had. Yeah, Steve has had that one. I have. So in, in mental management, there's a point of focus and, and that mm-hmm. your point of focus. And so, and this is mental focus. This is a point of mental attention or focus. And, it, and that can be anything. So for Steve, you know, center the dot, call the shot. For me, it's more vague than that. And, and this is something I've developed over the last year and a half, I think, is, is that I smile. So it's a physical thing that I do. I smile to myself and, 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 it, and it comes out. I usually try not, to, I'm not like turning to the squad behind me, smiling right before I'm mm-hmm. shooting. But, but I smile or grin right before I shoot. And that that's like the physical trigger that allows me to just to run through what I've programmed on the stage. So I'll just look from this target to that target to the next one. I'll do a reload. And, and I let all that fall away. And I just smile. And then I wait for the beep. And, and so that's, that's what I do now. And, and again, everybody is going to be different. But that's what I do. But what you're, what you're talking about is building subconscious skill. Yes. Right. So you want everything to be so subconscious that it does, it happens automatically. And that's why you dry fire as much as you do. Cause you're not actively thinking about reloading. You've already just programmed your, your body to reload as it needs to reload in the stage that you've looked at. Yeah. I just tell myself when I, when I, in the walkthrough, I get to walk through the stage beforehand. I, I say, I'm going to, I'm going to reload here. And then when I'm done walking the stage, then I'll, I'll be able to close my eyes. Not everybody is able to do this, but you close your eyes and you, you imagine what it's like to shoot the stage. And then how many times? Oh, lots of times. I don't, Steve, Steve wants to put a number on it. A dozen, two dozen. I don't know. A hundred. I as many as possible. So if there's a section on the stage 
and I catch myself naturally wanting to skip the reload there, or even let's say, for example, here, I'm reloading in my mind in a spot that I do not want to reload. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta fix that. I can't, I'm not, I, I don't want to reload there. I want to do something else. So then I have to go over and reprogram that over and over and over and over again, just that small section of the stage where I'm specifically not reloading. I don't tell, I don't tell myself don't reload. I say, look to that fault line on the ground. So I run there and then I overlay that. So that becomes the fabric that, that is the strongest in that section of the stage. So I don't re I don't rehearse the entire stage a uh, hundred times before I shoot, but I'll do sections of it a lot of times. Have you ever gotten like halfway through a stage and been like, man, I should have thought about this section a couple dozen more times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then on the next one, you're like, okay, so if I notice that in the walkthrough, like my body naturally wants to do this thing, that's not efficient. Then if I notice it in the walkthrough, I better correct it right there. I, I think that this, this applies to, I, I know it applies directly to competition because uh, that's, that's what I do. That's what I think about all the time. And that is, having equipment that you really like and that you really you you know it's the best it's you know it's the best for you and when you have that you get we get back to the confidence part where you you have so much confidence in the equipment you have so much confidence in your training that that you don't have to think about it and so that's where that's where the steel frame is like i'm i know that this is the best equipment that i can, that i can get the Walther steel frame. The Walth, yes, the Walther, the PP steel frame. And and so when I have I have this Walther PDP steel frame in my hand, and I know it's it's no, I know it's the best. So then I can I can trust that all all my skill is going to be, it's good. I've trained it up, and I can just focus on shooting. And so that I don't know. I that's why I'm just so excited about it. Well, no, it makes sense. Like your, you know, confidence is key. And if you have confidence in your equipment, then it's, you know, one less thing you have to worry about. Absolutely. I think it was, uh, was it in Lanny's book or was it in Steve's book where he talked about the quote from Michael Jordan, where, if, you know, you, you interview Michael Jordan, he'd say, you know, all, all the game is 90% mental basketball is 90% mental. And, you know, people think about that and they're like, well, if it's 90% mental, how much time do you spend practicing the mental side of you know whatever sport it is that you're playing most people i would say is zero yeah yeah and i like what steve has done also to kind of translate that into the into the competition world where you have your classification and many people might be familiar with with this but if you're not you have a percentage that you are of the best in the united states and so you if you're d class you're between 20 and 40 percent as good as that is, as the top and so then if you're in D class, you're around 40%. I might be having this percentage messed up, but you're 40% mental. And then you, you class up, you know, M class, you're 85 uh, to 95% mental. And then if you're, if you're a grandmaster, you're 95 to 100% mental in this sport. And so, and, and you're exactly right. What, what percentage of that time or your money and resources or whatever have you spent on the mental mental training. Well, so this brings up another question that I've had personally. Steve is not the only person who has put out a, a publication or a podcast about dealing with, you know, mental stress, especially in the shooting sports. Why is it that his clicks so much more with you than 
other publishers? I mean, I think it's just, I, I think it's who Steve, I think it's Steve's personality <laughs> first, because you listen to his podcast and you're like, who is, who is this guy? And what is, what is he? What? And why are those dogs barking? Why are dogs barking? <laughs> and, and in sounds, when, when Steve talks about something, he sounds extremely confident. And mm -hmm. something like, why is he so confident about this? It must be important. And I think that that's what drew me in. I think there's, I have a few, I have many other books about, you know, mental training and mental systems, and they're all pretty much the same, but they, you'll go around in a little different approach. Maybe you're a little bit more uh, direct about it or less Zen about it. And I think for, for me, at least, and I think a lot of people in competition have kind of gr gravitated towards Steve because, because of that. He has many, many different ways of explaining mentality and the way that your brain will kind of trick you into performing poorly, um, more so than in other, you know, other books that I've read, I won't mention authors, but, uh, you know, their approach to it was kind of like stress. Yeah. Just don't think about it. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's, wow, really? Is that the trick? Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, oh, I just don't think about it. Yeah. It's too, super easy. But Steve has, you know, and a lot of that too, I, I know is through Lanny's mental management system and, um, which is a, you know with winning in mind by Lanny Basham for the listeners should be required reading for everybody, not just in shooting sports, but who is currently with heartbeat and breath, uh, living life. It's a, an excellent book with many lessons in there, but, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I just, I can't identify personally with just don't think about it. Yeah. Don't think about it. Just do it. Uh, all, like any number of things. Yeah. Or I think there's a lot of stuff around, you know, tricking yourself, like just be mad or something like that. Just get mad. And then you won't. Is that a thing? Apparently it's a thing. Like some people are like, I shoot better when I'm angry. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, oh my goodness. That sounds like terrible advice. It sounds, it sounds, it's bad. Yeah. Or I shoot better when I'm even the opposite, I'm like sad or whatever. And it's like, well, so. What I listen to. <laughs> uh, I listen to my chemical romance and then I shoot guns. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so how do you, yeah, so maybe so that would be your way of reproducing it, but like, how do you reproduce being the correct level of mad or sad or just do it? Because I watch the end of Toy Story 3 before every stage. Yeah. <laughs> the toys are holding hands going into the furnace. <laughs> if it works for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Then Not me. Not me. Then you would have a system for making, recreating that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But it's, <laughs> it has to be a, some, some kind of reliable way of recreating this. Uh, and, and I think when you get Steve on, I think he, he'll talk through this process more specifically that would relate to, to someone doing any kind of task in life. Like I use mental management in, in my work and in kind of as a, as a dad. I use mental management and I'm sure you've experienced the same way just, and I think a, a big part of it is just taking, being aware of your thoughts and then taking control of them in the appropriate way. But a lot, yes, yeah, so many people will say like, well, you can't just talk yourself into a good performance mm -hmm. because, and, th and that's true. You can't, you can't lie to your, and by yourself, you're, we're talking about self-image. And so if you're familiar with Lanny Basham, that's just his word for who you are, your fundamental uh, habits and attitudes. You cannot lie to yourself. Like you'll, you're, you'll call BS on yourself. But what you can do 
is is give yourself credit when you do something well like you've never done you've never been a podcast host before but you have done a lot of other things really well and so you get permission to tell yourself that i, I probably can do this pretty well too and yeah it's it, it's like me to do well that's the that's the catchphrase of the book i feel like it's just it's it's like me to do well and it really was weird because like I used, that was how I got introduced to you and, and to Steve and, you know, our friend Jordan uh, and then Scott was, uh, I wanted Gabe White's turbo pin who we talked about earlier. And I was like, you know, I want as good a shot. If I'm only going to have one shot at this, you get, you know, one try for the turbo pin of this class. Um, if you, if I'm only going to have one shot at this, you know, I, I want to make sure that this is something I'm going to be able to do. So I started I, you know, I reached out to, I believe it was you first. Well, Scott put me in touch with you. You put me in touch with Steve and then with uh, Jordan Peterson and, and then a, another guy named Chris Cosman. Um, but I was shocked at how, it, yeah, it was low hanging fruit. Cause I had always been like everybody else where I'm just like, I did, that was terrible. That sucked. That was a terrible run. Like why I should sell all my guns. But yeah, just like going to the first training session, after talking to Steve and, and talking to you and just, you know, what if I didn't berate myself after every failure? What if I just learned how to, you know, wad it up, throw it away and fail quickly, as it were, and focus on the things that I did well. And then the things that you do well start to grow. Yes. The list of things that you do well just get bigger and bigger when all you start focusing on is the positive things that you're doing and not so much the negative. And that's where it becomes very easy to carry that over from, you know, shooting bullets at pieces of paper to being a dad and you know or, or an employee or a business owner or whatever yeah I, I like how you said that you're you're giving you're watering those those flowers you know to bring it back to gardening Just, sure but to blueberries everything's blueberries with you but and and so people people i don't know i say people i don't know i don't know who these people are but it's <laughs> i don't know these people um, <laughs> nobody I would hang out with. So you're like, I can, I can take control of my thoughts whenever I want. But when that it's so much easier to take control of your thoughts when you are not under pressure. And so that's where this comes in. Like on my first stage at IPSC nationals, I was, a, I was shooting one handed around a really hard lean, holding onto like a port or a rope. And then I had to switch over to my other hand and do this on the other side. And my heart rate was like through the roof before this stage. I could, I was tracking, I had it on my, my watch. And so I, I knew what it was later, you know, at the end of the day. And so I was very amped up. And so then it, when you try to take control of your thoughts, when you're extremely amped up, you, that's, that's way more difficult. So that's where the mm -hmm. mental training comes in. And so that's where the question kind of gets or you see who people are under those circumstances. You see how much mental training they've done and you see kind of what they do to take control of that. And so if you, if you don't have a system to take control of that, um, and I keep on saying system, I really shouldn't say that word. I don't like it. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a, you have a process, you have a process to take control of that under stress that you can just default to. Then it becomes, it's not easy, but, but there's a, there's something you can do. Yeah. I think even for a defensive carry person, it's worth looking into for sure, at least a little bit, because I can't imagine a worse kind of stress than if you were put into 
you know, some kind of situation where you did have to use your gun to do more than try and score points. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's lost on a lot of people as well. You know, everybody kind of has this, I'm going to rise to the occasion. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And with I, their pistol ability. And I kind of, I apologize, but I don't really for making this as, like an ad for Steve Anderson and his mental management. But if you're just, if you're somebody who doesn't compete, you can, you can go, you can take a mental management class and apply it to whatever you want. You might be in a class with other people who compete. You might not be. I, I, when I took mental management, I was in a class with someone who had never shot like a match before. And, and you can take that class and apply it to whatever you want. And it's, it's extremely valuable. How is it that you got involved with Scott Jedlinski? So I, I, I kind of, I think I've said, there's a couple people who have kind of started this whole thing for me. And Scott is one of those people. Cause I was listening to a podcast with Scott on it. Actually, no, this is even further back. I was on a podcast back in 2015 with Scott Jedlinski. And we were together on this show. It was some like, what's your EDC show on YouTube? Okay. Don't just don't try to search for it. It's not worth it. (laughs) And I think it's still out there, actually. Uh, And Scott was on there, blah, blah, blah. And they they had stopped the recording. And Scott and me and some other guy were like hanging out and talking for another 45 minutes after the recording was done. And Scott was just being super helpful. He was talking about like BJJ or something like that. And I was like, that's cool. I probably, I don't know if I'll do that. I still haven't done it. Uh, But that's how I got to know Scott a little bit. He doesn't probably remember that um, because he's, I'm not that memorable in, in those circumstances. And, and then I heard Scott. So then I was following along with what he was doing and I heard him on primary and secondary uh, or whatever that was at the time. And he was talking with a group of people about why they should do competition. And, and that was really where, where that all got started. And then I was following along with Scott Moore because he was doing stuff from concealment. So Scott always says like, because I told him, you know, I learned to reload from him, like from concealment, mm-hmm. who reloads, and then, um, and then that he knows more about how I reload from concealment than I know about how I reload from concealment. However, that worked. He obsesses about, yeah, he can absolutely like take video, and he will just like break down the minutia of how people are drawing, reloading, what he loves it. Yeah, yeah, and so I Scott did this one trick where. I actually still use it kind of now from time to time. So if I'm doing a reload um, and I'm missing or something like that, like I'm, I'm not able to put the magazine in the magwell properly. And it's just to, it's just to watch the old one fall out. And this mm-hmm. uh, misquoted from Scott and I don't even know if he says it anymore, but I watched the old one fall out. So then it's almost like your body picks up on the angle and the new one goes in mm-hmm. nicely. And so it's a little like, I don't know. It, it helps. It helps with a. Tr- it's kind of a trick that works some of the time, and you just pay attention to that and you do that. And I don't know. I, Scott's just been so, um, so helpful. He's he's like Steve in the way. He's been so helpful to me, and I haven't really done anything for for them, you know. Uh, and so it's pretty cool. You and me both, man. He's been he's been a great friend to me personally, and and to Walther as well. It's uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why we got him on the defense division, and you are here now on the performance division. And we're just trying to build out like a, a great big family of super helpful, friendly, 
uh, awesome instructors and shooters and we're uh, we're happy as heck to have both of you so thanks for thanks for joining the team thanks scott jedlinski thanks scott jedlinski well jay that about wraps up our time i really appreciate you coming on and spending some time talking to us about the new pdp steel frame Look. one last shot of it before we go there's the steel frame pdp right there um, today is the launch date. So again, we appreciate you coming on and talk, talking to us about that, being the first person to talk to us about it. And before we go that you would like to say a shout out to say, thanks. Yeah. I mean, first of, first of all, Walter, I mean, what, what an opportunity this has been for myself and, and I'm so, I'm very grateful for it. Um, also Chris long, uh, <laughs> but he's looking at you right now. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I would have, and you and I've talked about this. I would have never imagined just any of this. I'm just, I'm just somebody who likes to shoot as fast and accurately as I can. And I want to keep getting better at that. And, and that whatever happens along the way is, has happened. So anyway, I want to, I want to give some people credit because I've, I've had a lot of help from different companies. So yeah, Walther, uh, Andersonshooting.com, Steve Anderson, Targets USA, make steel targets. I train with those and their swingers, really good stuff. AMG lab, which you are familiar with, they make yep. shot timers. And those are the ones I use. Um, Hunter's HD gold. So those are the safety glasses that I wear. They kind of help with contrast on, on targets again, like round cardboard targets against brown dirt berm. Very nice to have contrast. Uh, outdoor dynamics. So he reloads in manu manufactures ammunition. And so that's, that's also a good source for competition guys. CR speed gear. Uh, competition gear, so ma specifically the magazine pouches that we relo reload from. And then uh, GX products, so he makes my holsters, Leif over there, he makes super nice double double layer Kydex holsters that I use. And Rune Tactical, if you feel the need to jam 24 plus one or whatever rounds, if you need more rounds in your magazine, then he's got springs and followers to do it. Shooting sports innovations, shooting sports innovations.com. Steve talks about them all the time and it's really hard to type and say, um, they <laughs> stuff. And then, uh, summit city bullets. And I've been shooting recently for the past few months, their uh, 135 grain bullets. And those are just so nice in the steel frame, which I, which is where I brought them with me specifically so I could shoot my own, my own stuff. It's like butter. It was, and you shot him with the 135. Oh yeah. So nice. 135 green bullets, Thumb City bullets. Anyway, that's it. That's all of my shilling that I will do. Also, well <laughs> cool. Well, I've got people to thank as well. And it's, it's all of these listeners right here. This is, like I said, this is our last podcast of the year of 2023, the inaugural year. This is the last episode. I really want to thank all you guys. We've got thousands of downloads at this point, which is a level of success that I did not imagine would be here when we started this thing. So Thank you so much to all of the listeners. Thank you so much to all of the Walther fans, the subscribers on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, just uh, Vimeo, everywhere. We couldn't thank you enough. We're happy as heck to have you guys here. So uh, we will see you in 2024, which is going to be another year of some awesome launches. Thank you guys also for being so patient on waiting for the steel frame to come out. We promised that we had cool stuff coming and it's finally here. So, you know, that's a big deal for all of us. So everybody, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and we will talk to you in 2024. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walther Radio. 
Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. At Walther Arms, it's our duty to create the world's best performing firearms. It's your duty to be ready. Thanks again for listening.